It's the Dead Lady Show podcast. I'm Susan Stone. The Dead Lady Show celebrates women, both overlooked and iconic, who achieved amazing things against all odds while they were alive. And we do it through women's history storytelling on stage, here in Berlin and beyond. Then we bring you a delightfully curated selection of these stories here on the podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show and welcome to Dead Lady Show co-founder Florian Dysons. Nice to see you. Nice to see you too. Hi, Susan. In this episode, we're going to hear about a woman who is sometimes called a sculptress of sound. You may have heard our episode number 43 about B.B. Barron, the first lady of electronic music. Well, now we are delighted to introduce you to the unsung heroine of British electronic music, Delia Derbyshire. And if that name sounds uh, vaguely familiar, yeah, she does share that with our uh, dear co-founder, Katie, Katie Derbyshire, uh, who will be telling her story. Here's Katie from the stage at Berlin's Akut. So here we go. I'm going to start with an admission. And that is my name is Katie Derbyshire. I'm not actually a fan of electronic music. <laughs> but I am a fan of Delia Derbyshire, who's often been called a godmother of electronic music. And as she's become better known over the past decade or so, people have started asking me whether we're related. Um, so it felt important to me to find out who she really was. Um, I'm just going to just relieve you of the, the tension now. We're, we're not actually related. Um, both of our families come from Coventry, and my, my dad met her in the early 70s when they were both working at, in the BBC sound department, although not in the same place. Uh, they, they went for a drink in a pub. I tried to get my dad to give me juicy details. Apparently, she was very nice. <laughs> And they established that we are not related, so there we go. <laughs> uh, so here is Delia at a said workplace where, that she's most associated with, the BBC Radiophonic Workshop. Delia worked there from 1962 to 1973, making sounds and music to order for radio and television. She used recorded and electronically produced sounds her knowledge of mathematics and her analytical ingenuity and instinct, plus a lot of tape and razor blades to create theme tunes, uh, what she called special sounds and incidental music. We're going to hear her talking about her work on a radio show now in the early 1960s. So in this workshop, you can turn practically any sound into a form of music. Yes, if we take the Greenwich Pips, for example... We can speed them up and slow them down and alter the quality. And we can, by mixing various types together, make a little piece like this. arrangement and, and, and I can distinctly recognize the theme of it, the oranges and lemon themes. I, and I'd, I'd never expected to hear it with the Greenwich Pips as the instruments, as it were. Well, thank you very much for your explanations and for the very interesting things you've shown me while I've been in your workshop here. 
Hey, what are you doing to my voice, Mr. Oldsman? I've turned you into a fish. Thank you very much indeed, Mr. Oldsman. There you are. So you can tell she has a, a, a slightly playful sense of humour. Um, the Greenwich Pips, by the way, which they were talking about, are six short tones, or pips, broadcast at one-second intervals by many BBC radio stations to mark the exact start of each hour. And the, the joke, if you will, is that the, the, she made oranges and lemons out of pips. So this is um, Delia's very own reel-to-reel tape recorder, which is now in the Coventry Music Museum. And she also has a street named after her in the city Derbyshire Way. They were going to call it Derbyshire Road, but that seemed too boring for Delia. Uh, so yes, she's, she's very... Her, her hometown, her, her, the town of her birth is very proud of her. Um, most famously, of course, Delia Derbyshire put together the theme to the BBC's long-running science fiction series, Doctor Who. Woo, Woo Yes. In 1963, the composer Ron Grainer gave the workshop a one-page score and some annotations and went away on holiday. Fast forward to the year 2000, and the sound researcher Joe Hutton was writing an article called Radiophonic Ladies. So I I like that title. I think it's a good title. Uh, And Delia told her, with reference to Grainer, he expected to hire a band to play it. But when he heard what I'd done electronically, he'd never imagined it would be so good. He offered me half of the royalties, but the BBC wouldn't allow it. I was just on an assistant studio manager's salary, and that was it. And we got a free Radio Times, which is the, the TV list and radio list, uh, listings magazine. Um, the boss wouldn't let anyone have any sort of credit. So it was official policy for the workshop to be treated as a, a single entity rather than as a collection of, of creative individuals. Um, no matter what they contributed to the the music. We'll hear a little bit more about Doctor Who later, but right now I want to play you something very different, part of a series of interventions for radio that Delia worked on with the dramatist Barry Bermange. I think it shows her enthusiasm for sound went beyond the pragmatic creation of useful music towards something that, that both documented her times and, and I hope might remain timeless. It's about two minutes long, so do sit back and relax and listen. From 1965, it's called The Evenings of Certain Lives, and it's a collage of voice recordings with electronic sound. Here we go, I hope. My present age seems to go very slowly. And when I look back over the years... It seemed to have jumped very quickly. I can remember things that happened to me when I was 14 years of age, when I was 24, 34, 44. And I used to dread being 54. Now it comes to 64 and over, and it seems to get longer as the years go by. Time seems to spread out. It seems to be going pretty fast with me. Maybe it's according to the condition that I'm in, how I feel at the time, but that's how it appears to me. It seems to go very much quicker. I find time goes very, very fast. It's going too quick. Very, very fast indeed. I don't seem to get enough hours in the day to do all I want to do. I've never got time to do all my things. I find time moves around quick, 
since I've retired. I thought I was going to have a lazy time, but uh, it's going too quick. Weeks simply fly by. They seem, seem to fly by. Time passes very, very quick, right? Time never worries me at all. Uh, I don't seem no older now than I was well, 60 years ago. Time passes away from me. As long as I've got something to do, just occupy my mind and keep on doing it. Time is nothing, then. The weeks go from Monday morning, you don't realise it. Then it's Saturday again. Time never hangs on for me, and never has done. Some days it's a bit boring, but I don't think the time drags, not at all. Maybe it's according to the condition that I'm in, how I feel at the time. But it seems to be going pretty fast with me. I, I'm just so moved by it. I love it so much. It's kind of also symptomatic of, of um, what happened to Delia's material. So that, there's a 10-minute section uh, that has survived after the BBC got rid of the 40-minute original. And, and that, those 10 minutes are one of 267 reel-to-reel tapes found in Delia's attic after she died. And, and they're now part of her archive at the University of Manchester. A lot of radio listeners at the time objected to hearing normal people's voices and their, their accents and especially their opinions. Um, so only, only four of these pieces were made. But a lot of that material is, is available online, so do, do seek out those inventions for, for radio, I think. I, I mean, if you like that, you'll love the rest. Anyway, who was Delia Derbyshire? She was born in a working-class Catholic family in 1937, Coventry at the time was a, was a thriving industrial city. As you can see, there are old and new buildings, a really busy street in the centre of town with trams and buses and cars and bustling with pedestrians. In 1940, the Nazis launched the Coventry Blitz, uh, raising the city to the ground with a series of intense bombings. Yeah, as you can see, not a lot was left standing and... Um, it became very difficult to live in the city after that. Delia was evacuated to Preston, where her parents came from. Later, she talked about her formative experience of electronic sound, the air raid siren. I'm going to play you a little bit of that now. So you can hear this wailing in B minor and D minor which was followed usually by her mother counting between the bombs, almost like counting between thunder and lightning. And then, the, then came the relief, she said, of the all-clear signal, which is a, a single steady tone. At school, she was an excellent student. Her archive actually holds some of her school exercise books because she hid them up the chimney of her childhood bedroom. Uh, so they were, they were found a few years after her death and are, are now in the archive. She was very interested in mathematics and physics, and she taught herself harmonics, and she also learned the piano to a professional level outside of school. The family didn't have many books at home, so she really discovered the outside world through the radio, which she, she really loved. 
quite impressively for, for a working-class girl, she got a place at Girton College, Cambridge, which you can see here looking very fancy. I think this is a colorized photo, but you can see that it's a very impressive red brick building. She studied mathematics and music. As well as the piano, she played the violin, the spinet, which you can here see here on the left as a kind of harpsichord, and also the double bass. Apparently, Delia didn't really like the violin, and I think maybe she enjoyed that feeling of controlling a really big instrument. Um, after she graduated, she tried to get a job at Decca Records, but was told they only employed women in administrative and secretarial roles. Uh, <laughs> and they wouldn't let her work with sound, which was really her, her major ambition. In the end, she went to Geneva, and she was employed by the United Nations to teach mathematics and piano to diplomats' children, and then moved into its um, International Telecommunications Union, so working with radio in a way. And from there, she kind of bombarded the BBC with applications. Eventually, they took her. Uh, once she was there in another post, she found out about the radiophonic workshop, and she asked to be transferred there, which was unusual because most people, men and women, were kind of seconded there for three months involuntarily and then moved on. So here you can see her in this kind of iconic setting, surrounded by more big electronic instruments. Delia also used smaller instruments from everyday life, famously her green Kulikon brand lampshade, you can see here, which when struck with a beater made a beautiful sort of bell-like sound. The academic David Butler writes about her love of music found in the sounds around us or within us, whether that was a knock on the door, a clap of thunder, a metal lampshade, or one's own voice and breath. She preferred to work at night when the workshop was empty, usually with a bottle of wine. Her consumption increased and became an addiction. And she also tried uh, snuff tobacco to, to help rid her of sort of sniffles, and she quickly got hooked on that too. Nonetheless, the 60s were a very productive period for Delia. Outside of the BBC, she formed Unit Delta Plus with two others to make electronic music and to market it to advertisers, maybe to top up that manager's salary, I guess. Uh, so you can see there their impressive studio on the left. I cannot identify a single one of these gadgets, but they look fabulous. And on the right, I've got a page from a, a 1966 event programme showing really how clear they were about um, giving credit to the composer. So they staged this event, organised it themselves, and you can see on the left the name of the titles, Moogies, Bloogies, Fragment, Potpourri, and on the right, pretty much the most important thing, in all caps, the name of the composer. So they played this um, pre-recorded music, and they also um, had light projections by art students using... Uh, coloured oils and water. They, had, they also had paintings on display by the five-year-old daughter of one of them. <laughs> and, of course, moving electromagnetic sculpture, because it was the 60s. What else would you do? So after uh, Delia and her colleague Brian Hodgson left that formation, they set up um, White Noise with David Warhouse, who was another double bassist, He'd met them at a lecture they'd given. So she always had kind of outside things going on. Um, they recorded this album, An Electric Storm, in their Kaleidophone studios. Uh, the original version you can see here on the left sells for about 60 euros. We listened to it last night. I think you can safely file it under Experimental Psychedelic Electronic Rock. 
Florian loves it. No, you know. Um, but I have to say, this re-release uh, from a couple of years ago from from Island Records uh, has this, has some fantastic copy on the on the CD sleeve. Welcome to the world of the frequency shifter, signal generator, and azimuth coordinator. A world that existed before the dawn of the synthesizer, when a sample was a length of recording tape delicately and skillfully spliced in place. The 1968... Oh, well, it came out in 1969. The 1968 White Noise and Electric Storm LP became the holy grail amongst collectors of science dimension music, a staple ingredient for lovers of cosmic electronic space rock. Yes. <laughs> it really wants you make it, to make you listen to it. And you can do that on the internet. Uh, Delia moved in with this guy, David Vorhaus, and they had, let's say, an adventurous time of it in psychedelic swinging London. <laughs> she talked, yes, yes. She talked later about working with, um, with Yoko Ono on a soundtrack for Ono's film Bottoms while Yoko slept on her floor, and she then seeged into this sort of starting to talk about a, an orgy that resulted, but then she stopped talking, so... <laughs> Yes. Why? Why stop there? Um, so she continued working on soundtracks for art projects, freelance outside of the BBC, alongside the BBC work, into the 70s, including with the Dutch visual artists. Oh, no, I'm going to mangle some Dutch again. Um, Elsa Stansfield and Madeleine Huikars. <laughs> Florian is... I have no idea. He has, I, that may not be the correct pronunciation. Mm. Um, this is a still from their film One of These Days so Delia clearly enjoyed collaborating with artists from other fields by the 70s though despite going for a drink with my dad in a pub um, as Delia said later the world around her fell out of tune she'd had enough of the commercial pressures of her freelance and BBC work and her personal life was difficult. She wasn't very enthusiastic about the rise of the synthesizer, and she left the BBC, and in fact London, in 1973, out of self-preservation, as she said. She moved to the far north of England and uh, worked as a bilingual radio operator for a gas pipeline being laid by an Anglo-French company. So you can see her here on the radio and the telephone at the same time, in action, Possibly a staged photo, not hard to say, but she's certainly wearing her hard hat. Very important when on the radio in a little hut. Uh, she needed a rest, she said, but unfortunately she also got into this uh, short-lived unhappy marriage to a colleague up in Cumbria. But she also got involved with the nearby LYC Museum and Art Gallery, and she moved in with its founder, the Chinese artist Li Yuanxia. I'm mangling another language for you. Here you are. Um, so it was a very open place in a large form of farmhouse that you can see here, a uh, photograph later, uh, that displayed art by Li Yuanxia, who did painting, sculpture, poetry, calligraphy, and videography, and by other artists, and uh, it involved local people in its work. And I think it was a, a very progressive space. Not progressive enough, though, apparently, for Delia and Lee to ever stop hiding their relationship from the neighbours. So 
who knows? But still, she was around creative people in a largely positive environment. Um, her job, which I believe she enjoyed, was as an assistant, and she uh, helped arrange exhibitions. She was dealing with the artists and uh, keeping them entertained during their stay. In 1978, she moved away. She left her cat behind, though. May have been a sudden departure. Uh, she moved back to London and then to Northampton, where she could, from where she could visit her mother in Coventry. Her mother never visited her. She lived in Northampton with a new partner, Clive Blackburn, who eventually moved out. She was, she was quite particular about keeping particular things in particular places. I imagine she was a difficult person to live with. Um, later on, she talked about having eliminated all need to wash the dishes, which for cohabitation is maybe not great. I, I mean, but if you live on your own, go for it, yes. Um, anyway, she and Clive remained together and they supported each other. And she went on working on occasional collaborations with, with artists and her own private music projects with, with her partner. Delia survived breast cancer and a double mastectomy uh, in the year 2000-2001, but she died of liver failure in July 2001 with friends by her side. Before that, though, she was actually rediscovered to some extent by electronic music enthusiasts, so thank you for that. Um, and her, her work on the Doctor Who theme tune began to be recognised. Uh, here she is, at around that time, talking about the process of making the track with additions from her colleague Dick Mills. I saw the, the graphics at the same time that Ron Grainer did. And then I was given his score. So Ron actually wrote the tune on a piece of paper, a single piece of paper, and then left us to it. When I saw Ron Grainer's score, there were some swoops indicated, and I assumed those were sine waves. The bass line that everybody thinks they know are actually made in two tracks within themselves. I think he, he may have described us as guitar plus a, I don't know, something like a bass bassoon or something. We did a whole string of me, 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 which when we played with the dun-da-dun-dun-da-dun, I can't sing it, <laughs> but they went together as a pair. But then, um, apart from that, to fit in with the graphics, he used words like... Clouds and wind bubble. Clouds, obviously, one thinks of as filtered white noise. And wind bubble, um, I think we use the wobulator. Delia and I got to work using sound-generating equipment. There are no musicians, there are no synthesizers, and in those days we didn't even have a two-track or a stereo tape machine. It was always mono. It was constructed on, literally on a quarter-inch mono tape, inch by inch by inch. And literally, we built up the orchestra with individual notes, and Delia would say, I think we need about 64 B-flats and 25 E's and B's and things like that, and we cut them all out physically. What I'd like to say is that hardly anything of it was done in real time. It was done... Um, either at half speed or, or chopped together in, in little bits of tape. For example, the swoops um, at the beginning, that they were done on the old valve oscillators. 
There he goes. Isn't she marvellous? I, I love that little sparkle in her eye. I, I, she comes across as, as quite a shy person, which I think she was, but also very proud of her achievements um, and glad to be able to talk about them. A wobulator that she talked about, by the way, I tried quite hard to find out what it is. The, the definition that came closest to me being able to understand it is the following. A testing device for radio sets in which the frequency is varied periodically and automatically over a predetermined range. Well, I, it made a noise, so, <laughs> so she used it. Some of the material produced after Delia's death by the BBC seems to me a little self-congratulatory, I have to say. And, and it often assumed that, that Delia's creative life ended after she left the corporation. And for some contemporary musicians, although not at all all of them, she seems to be little more than a canvas to project their own work onto. In later life, she was very wary of being exploited, and I think she, she had good reason to be. But recently, the narrative about her life has changed. And I'm very grateful to, to David Butler, who I quoted earlier for his long 2019 article, Whatever Happened to Delia Derbyshire? Delia Derbyshire, Visual Art and the Myth of Her Post-BBC Activity, which you can find online with lots of clips. Um, but also for these two works of art... On the left, you can see the, the poster for the creative documentary Delia, the Myths and the Le Legendary Tapes by Caroline Katz, who directed it and also plays Delia in the dramatised part. It's very good fun. You can also watch it online. Uh, so the soundtrack was great. was made, uh, made by the electronic musician Cozy Fanny Tutti, who also wrote the book you can see here on the right, Re-Sisters or Re-Sisters which is a, a kind of a triple biography, if you like, of herself, uh, Delia Derbyshire, and the 13th century mystic Marjorie Kemp. You were wondering about that, yeah. Yeah. It all, you, all is revealed in the book. They do fit together quite nicely. Uh, and we also had a, a, a show about Marjorie Kemp in New York City in January 2020. So there may one day be a podcast about Marjorie Kemp in our series. I am super impressed by Delia Derbyshire's achievements at the BBC and outside of it. She continued to find creative outlets after she left, but they weren't necessarily for entertainment or for profit purposes, and I like to hope she was happy with that. I'm going to end with a quote from uh, the interview I mentioned earlier with Joe Hutton. Hutton asks about Delia's plans for the future, and the answer is this. Several people wanted to do a compilation of my little things. They appeal to different people. So I asked the BBC how much it would be to license certain tracks, half a minute long. And they just say, all tracks are £500 each. So I've put it all behind me. It's the doing of it that was the pleasure, really. I can still hear beautiful things in my mind. And I know how I can make more beautiful things, too. That's the important thing. I want to say, let's all keep on making beautiful things with Delia Derbyshire in mind. Thank you.
That was Katie Darbyshire, recorded live with assistance from Akut's Thomas Beckman and Johannes Brown. Do have a look at our episode notes. You can follow the link in your very podcast app or pop by deadladyshow.com slash podcast. Whatever strikes your fancy, both work. Um, we have collected some fascinating pictures and info about Dealey and her work. So do stop by and you'll also find a link to the episode about BB Baron that we mentioned. So you can quickly zip through and just listen along. Why not? Um, we'll be sharing some of these treats on our social media channels at Dead Lady Show too. Yes. So now, Florian, you may recall that when Katie did this talk at our last live show, I just couldn't contain myself. I had to come up on stage afterwards to make a couple of comments. Yes, you did. I did. Because, you know, Katie says right at the beginning that she doesn't really like electronic music, which, you know, it's her right, but she's wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's wonderful stuff, or it can be. But not only that, uh, Katie happened to have translated a book about electronic music that came out fairly recently. Not about a dead lady, but a live man or maybe a live robot. Yes. I mean, she translated the book The Sound of the Machine by Karl Bortos, uh, a longtime member of the legendary German electronic group Kraftwerk. One of them not named Florian. And the English version just came out last summer, published by Omnibus Press, was voted a rough trade book of the year. And any fans of Autobahn or the the robot, we what is the the model? My God. The model. Yeah. Deathless. Man Machine, the one of the best albums of all time. Go check it out. Computer Love. Computer There's love. so much oh good. God. I love it. Yeah, I cannot wait to read this book, really. And speaking of reading, if you're looking for some other great literary recommendations, you know, we have them over on our Patreon in the Dead Lady Book Club, where our patrons get exclusive monthly audio reviews, interviews, and book chats. And you can find that at patreon.com slash Podcast. Thanks to Katie for sharing the story of Delia Derbyshire, and thanks to you, Florian, for sharing the sofa and the microphone with me today. And thanks to all of you listeners, fans, and friends out there. We love it when you share our show with your friends, uh, when you share it on social media, when you just click like. We we feel a little warm inside, and we like feeling a little warm inside, especially when it's cold outside. Um, We'll be back next month with another fabulous dead lady out here in this podcast space. But in the real world, uh, if you're in the New York State area or New York area or Manhattan or maybe lower Manhattan, uh, you can come see the Dead Lady Show on the 22nd of February. Uh, There's going to be three dead ladies uh, presented. I'll give you a few names, maybe. Um, there's Leonor Fini, the Yay. wonderful surrealist painter and close friend of... Leonora Carrington. Yeah. We have an episode about it. It has a number. You can find it on our website. Uh, <laughs> and two other uh, amazing people. Um, one is uh, the presenter's mother, grandmother, mother, mother. Gra- is it? Uh, is a close relation, Angelina Katz. So that'll be interesting to be our first relation that is that close. And the other one is Inji Aflatoun, a pioneering painter and feminist uh, from mid 20th century Egypt that I've never heard of and that I'm very excited to hear more about. Check out our website where you can buy tickets, where you can sign up for their mailing list, sign up for our mailing list, you know, get some emails. Yes, that sounds fun. And that's going to be in the KGB bar Red Room in New York City. So if you're there, do check it out. The Dead Lady Show co-founders are Florian Darsons and Katie Darbyshire. The podcast is created, produced, and edited by me, Susan Stone. 
Our theme song is Little Lily Swing by Tritachion. See you next time. Thank <laughs> you.